feast of the Lord this month. Praise the Lord. So if you didn't praise him, you better do it. You'll miss an opportunity and it'll never come around again. Not this particular time. Never be here again and you don't know even whether you'll be around or not. Well, praise the Lord anyway. We have been ministering on what God did at the cross and then how he moved us from being an individual that just had a natural mind, just had a natural heart, and just had a natural will. And we've been teaching on what the natural mind really is and how it thinks and uh, what it does to us and what a wonderful privilege that was when God judged this old man at the cross. Far more than just shedding his life blood for us to have uh, just have some freedom, but he rescued us from being under control of Adam's nature. I want to read to you from Romans 8, probably 1 to 13. This is the, uh, the Apostle Paul's resume on the conflict of the spirit and the flesh, with the flesh. And this is what we're trying to get us to see, that until Christ died until he ascended, until he came back again and filled us with the Holy Ghost, we had nothing to think with other than the natural mind and nothing to love with but the natural natural heart and no way to be obedient other than just our own natural will. And Jesus came and rescued us from that and placed within us a divine nature which he leaves for us to make the decision as to whether we will be under subjection to the old Adam's nature, which was the fallen nature, or whether we will be under subjection to the last man Adam, which was Jesus Christ and his nature. So reading there, beginning at the first verse, it says there is... Therefore now, no condemnation to them which walk, which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Condemnation was always present before. All right, so he says, now then there is no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death, that which helped us all of our lifetime before we knew Christ. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. And he did that, So the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Therefore the carnal mind and enmity against God For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. I want you to notice that. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. 
But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify or make to die the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And the rest of it is real good reading. But there's something that has troubled me for a while, and so I had to study it out a little bit. The Apostle Paul in Romans, or in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, let me see if I can find it, uh, there he talks about carnal Christians. I don't guess I know exactly where it is. I can't find it. But anyway, he talks about uh, one says I am of Cephas and one says I am of uh, Apollos and one of, of Christ. And he says, uh, it's in the First Corinthians 3rd chapter, he says, For you are yet carnal, for where is among you envying, strife, and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? And yet in other places it talks like the carnal mind is the natural mind. And uh, reading after strong concordance and also Vine's expository dictionary and also in uh, Mr. Schofield, he points out, a mistranslation from those and they translate carnal a lot of times when it should be natural and he says the reason that is now this may not be as important to you but when you're studying and thinking when Christ is talking to the Corinthians he's talking to spirit-filled believers so he cannot be talking uh, when he says carnal he cannot mean the natural mind he must mean something else. And so there is a mistranslation simply, they all say, simply because the Greek words are so close. And uh, looking that up, Sarkanis, S-A-R, you might want to write that down. S-A-R-K-I-N-O-S describes man's corrupt and fallen nature. That is the natural man. That's the natural nature of man. It's fallen, it's corrupt. And uh, a lot of times it's translated carnal. But the word for carnal is sarkikos, S-A-R-K-I-K-O-S, and they're so close, and that is translated carnal. That means allowing place a place that does not belong to it. In other words, as Christians... We can either walk after the Spirit or we can walk after the flesh. And when we are carnal, we are walking after the flesh, even though the Spirit of God, the divine nature, dwells in us, we choose to walk after the flesh, and this is the fleshly man. So a lot of times when it says carnal man, now Paul says, are you not carnal? And that word ought to be, are you not uh, sarcakos? Are you not allowing flesh a place where it should not control? And uh, Paul says, now you as, as Corinthians, you're carnal because of your divisions, envy, and malice, and strife. In other words, you are allowing the flesh a place it does not belong. And as Christians, when we allow the flesh to control us, we are allowing it a place it does not belong in our lives. Amen. We are supposed to be spiritually minded. That's not to say we don't walk after the flesh, but when we do, we are allowing flesh a place that doesn't belong because we have been rescued by the cross of Jesus Christ and by the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And according to Paul's writings and Peter's and others, he has given us that spirit to overcome the spirit of flesh. And so when we walk carnally minded, we're having envy and malice and strife and, and prefer one individual 
of the other, we are lying flesh, a place where it doesn't belong. And the Apostle Paul was telling the Corinthian church, Spirit-filled, Jesus' name baptized, spoken in another tongue, he says you are allowing the flesh a place it doesn't belong. And God help us to realize too often, far too often, we allow the flesh a place in our life to rule where it doesn't belong. God is expecting us, spirit-filled individuals, to grow in grace and knowledge of Him so that we will not allow the flesh a place where it doesn't belong. Let the power of God fill us so filled with righteousness that nothing else matters other than the righteousness of God. Until we're not satisfied walking in carnality. We're not satisfied walking in flesh. All we want is to be able to know the mind of Christ, be able to know the heart of Christ, be able to know the will of Christ, and fulfill every one of them. So when we talk about, and we've been talking about mostly, about the natural mind. Now notice there is a natural mind, which is an unregenerate mind. All of us had that natural mind, and of course it's still present in us, but there's a new mind in us, and we'll get to that a little bit later on. But all that we've been talking about is things that the natural mind thinks, the unregenerate mind, the mind that we had before Jesus came into our life. That's the natural mind. And then there's a carnal mind, which individual Christians, like the Corinthians, like a lot of us, allow the flesh to rule us when it ought not, and then there's a spiritual mind where our only desire and only thing we want is for Jesus to control our lives. That's walking in the Spirit. Notice the passages I read to you. If you walk in the Spirit, you are pleasing to God. But when you walk in the flesh, you can't please Him. In other words, our flesh ruling, the natural man can never please God. No way that we could ever please God. Now the natural-minded people have actually uh, uh, came and uh, started a warfare against God. They did this because of their blindness and ignorance, and they have made God to suit themselves. And furthermore, we find that the natural mind is marked by the incapacity to receive God's truth. As long as we have only the natural mind, the thinking of the natural mind, there is no way we can receive the truth of God. The only way we can ever even come to our senses enough to come and ask God to forgive us is because the Holy Spirit of God draws us against the will of flesh. And he so wants to abide within us so he can continue to draw us where we can be obedient to his will. Now, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this, Paul speaking, The natural man receiveth not the things of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Any truth of God, any fulfillment that we desire in God, has to come from the Spirit. The natural mind can never think them. Their thoughts are not way. Spiritual truth can only be discovered and put into place by the spiritual nature, which in other words is the divine nature brought to us, given us, by the power of the Holy Ghost. God sharing His divinity with us. And if we grow until we're filled to the fullness of the capacity that Christ was filled with, where He thought it not equal to be equal with God because He walked after Him. Every bit of that flesh that was in Jesus Christ, every bit of that was filled with the Spirit that He was born with, which was God. Now then, we have to grow in that. Amen? 
And a lot of us are simply carnal-minded because we have not allowed the Spirit to grow. Common sense tells us that. We have been under subjection of the carnal mind for so long and it has dominated and ruled our lives for so long that it does not want to give up control of our lives. And here comes, could I say, a little baby born. The Holy Ghost comes in. And it's just a new thing in there. And many of us don't know what that new thing is other than it makes us feel good. And it makes us shout once in a while. And we can speak in tongues once in a while. But that new thing inside is far more than that. It's something with a growth pattern inside of it until we're filled completely, wanting only what Jesus wants us to have. Hallelujah. And so we grow. And the more we grow, the more, the less flesh has to do in our life. The more filled with the Spirit, the less we walk in the flesh. But the natural man is still alive. You see, spiritual truth can just be discovered by the spiritual nature. But the natural man does not have a spiritual nature. In other words, if he's a natural man, he has nothing but the natural mind. That's all he can think with because he doesn't have anything else. That's all we could think with until Jesus provided us something else. So he, he doesn't have a spiritual nature and therefore does not have the capacity to receive divine truth. You hear a lot of people that are sinners like to argue the Bible. And you wonder how they can be so confused. Well, it's easy. The natural mind doesn't understand the divinity of Christ. They try to explain something, but they cannot grasp a truth because they don't have a mind to do it with. Okay? Since her natural mind does not have the capacity to receive divine revelations... That natural mind is marked by ignorance and can never be educated to divine truth. Let me go over that again. This old natural Adam's nature can never come to truth. It is a fallen nature. It will stay a fallen nature until... We are released from this which dwells within us. It takes an entirely new capacity to receive divine truth. In other words, if you receive truth, it has to be through the divine nature or a mind that's given to us by Christ. The natural mind of man is called a reprobate mind. Romans 1.28 simply says, Paul writing again, and they do not like to retain, as they do not like to retain God in their knowledge, or in other words, the intellectual capacity which God gave them, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Now, a reprobate mind is a mind that not only wanders into evil, but it continues to grow in evil. All right? Now then, that reprobate mind is given totally over to evil. Notice Ephesians 4, 7, you mark those down. An apostle says that the mind of the natural man is an empty mind. That's empty concerning God. They're walking in the vanity, or that word is emptiness of their own mind. Now, Paul does not mean that the mind is not full. He simply means the mind uh, is never a vacuum. I mean, there's always something going on in our mind. Can you say amen? I mean, it is. it doesn't even sleep. 
Amen. What causes your dreams and your nightmares and uh, all the things you wake up so weary and tired and the mind never sleeps? There's always something going on in your mind, whether it be an actual mind, a carnal mind, or a spiritual mind. There's always something going on in their mind. So there's always something because it's never a vacuum. But when God looks at the mind of the natural man, he says it is devoid of any content Godward. Okay? It does not retain God in their thoughts. God is left out of all that passes through the mind of the natural man. God is left out. Other than to use him in a curse word or something like that, it has no spiritual content. Anytime you are thinking... With Adam's mind, you have no spiritual content. You are not thinking godly. The only time you think godly is when the activated spiritual mind is there, and then you think Godward. A dispensation of truth is open to you. The divinity of God and the truth of God and the knowledge of God and the mysteries of God is all open because our mind is flowing heavenly toward God. And God so desires that to be so. And if we could ever get to that place, saints, we wouldn't have room in this church to fill it with the people. Because people could see and know that this is a spiritual mind. It is working inside the church and outside the church, in our workplaces and where we travel, in our grocery stores and in our restaurants or wherever we might be. We have a mind that is always Godward. What is it when you all at once see some garbage on television? An old natural mind grabs at it. And then there's a sickening response within you because your spiritual mind goes Godward. And you know that is so wrong and so condemned. But the natural mind, that's what it does. But the spiritual mind rises up against that and cancels it out and we immediately shut it off the same way when an evil type of thought rises up within us, and we are not immune to that. Every one of us has an evil thought, and sometimes the devil will put so much ungodly words in our mouth, and if we're not careful, the natural mind wants to say them. The natural mind wants to grasp them. But then there is something that rises up within us, which conquers that fleshly mind and we conquer it and shut it down because our mind goes Godward. Godward. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Stretching ourselves into the spirituality of Christ. Reaching always upward. Always desiring to be filled with His goodness. Casting down imagination. Doing away with envy that comes. Doing away with strife. And doing away with divisions that separate God's people. And moves them away from one another. And this is the carnal natural mind. As it's taking control. Because that's what it is. You notice when I read you what the natural mind and the results of a natural mind was and all of those things that was in it, that's the way it thinks. And it's never going to change. It's going to be like that until you either go to the grave or until Jesus comes because you are doomed to dwell in this natural mind and in this natural body with all these natural wills. There is no escape other than through the provisions that Christ 
made for us on the cross and by His Spirit. He has ransomed us. He has paid the price. He worked hard at it. Oh, yes, He did. Could I say it again? He worked hard at it. He worked hard in Gethsemane. He worked hard on the cross. He refused to bend to that natural man that was there. He refused to say, I'm going to do my thing. He refused it. He worked hard at it. And finally, He gave Himself on the cross of Calvary. And there, He eliminated those powers. And finally, He came and said, My divine nature, I'm going to give you. Oh, Pentecost, that day. Hallelujah, I wasn't there that day. But I had me a Pentecost in the cab of an old crude oil truck where I was bound by the natural man. I could not think anything else. But then came Jesus through the power of the Holy Ghost and imparted within me that affinity of God. And I spoke a language that says He's there. He's in there. Hallelujah. Hasn't all been easy. Hasn't all been easy. I still have that old natural mind after 50 years will be in June. Still comes out and troubles me. I am proud to say I don't walk after Him as much as I used to. I've found that I have no joy in that. I've found when the carnal mind, which is the mind that after receiving that divine nature of God, and that carnal mind that comes in and takes a place where it ought not to be, there's something inside of me that raises up. What can I say if the deed is already done? What can we say? We have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous one, that sets my feet again on the solid rock, which is Christ Jesus. And I begin a journey again. Hallelujah. 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 The carnal mind is a phrase that Paul uses a lot in Romans. And that is actually sarkanos, which is the natural mind. Anytime you read that, the carnal mind, in some places, it means the natural mind. Where it says the carnal mind is enmity against God. Or it's an enemy of God. It's an enemy of God's laws. An enemy of His ways. And an enemy of His truth. The same thought of course is passed to us in Colossians 2.18. When Paul says, let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels. Intruding into those things which he has not seen. Vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. His natural mind. The natural mind is always focused only on sensual things. Things that have to do only with this life and our existence here. When this mind exercises itself, it never exercises itself toward the things of God. Things that are hereafter. Things concerning man's eternal destiny. It never focuses on that. Because it lives for the here and now. It wants what it can get to make this life, natural life, as good as it can get in this world. The spiritual man wants that which is eternal in the heavens, regardless of what it has to suffer here, it looks beyond riches of this world. It looks beyond things that a natural mind grasps after. It looks beyond money piling on top of money. It looks beyond the fact that this I'll do is build bigger barns. 
and lay up some more money. It looks beyond that. For he knows that all of this will not be his when he passes beyond this veil of tears. This spiritual man lays up treasures into the heavens and knows that there is eternal life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It always occupies with things to having to do with this body. What gratifies our desires? What is our appetite? It's satisfaction of its wants. What I want, it doesn't make any difference. What I have to do to get it, I want to fulfill myself. Now that's natural man. Carnal man also sometimes is grasping for the things for themselves, becoming self-righteous, demanding that we have tell by her actions that she was just simply acting humble. You can't get by with that. God, you got to be humble. And her whole life demonstrated that she thought herself superior to the majority of individuals. You know how we know? When we saw these people from Skid Row and prostitutes and drunkards come into the house. What are they doing in here? The weakest of the weak, the humblest of the humble suddenly becomes proud. But you see, somebody that is humble before God wants to see any soul saved that it can get to regardless of where it's been or where it is. That's humility. And an humble person will take their seat by them. Okay? Paul is warning every Christian, lest their thinking be like the natural man who is puffed up within himself, and about himself. The conceited man loves to elevate himself above all those whom he has to do. He sees, and I've said it, he sees himself in a superior condition and a superior position. You see, you see this. Yeah, I'm going to say it. You see this in every conference you go to. You see, individuals, the Bible says that everybody should have the same love one for another. But you see the bishops, and you see all of those in high authority, and mostly with great churches, elevated. And when they speak, they expect you to bow down to them. And this is... Carnality, I'm not saying they don't have the Spirit. I'm saying humility indicates to me that they are walking in a lying place to have a place where it doesn't belong. I don't care what your calling is. Whether it's an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, pastor and teacher, those are offices and those are callings and they all come from God and we just fulfill our position in the body of Christ no more or no less. You see, this type of thinking is reflected in the sin of the first sinner which was Satan who was so puffed up in his mind that he rebelled against God, refused to remain in submission to rightful authority. That's where our carnal nature comes from. 
All of those that are in Satan's kingdom have the same vain mind. They have the same puffed up mind, thinking of themselves more highly than they ought. Paul mentions the defiled mind. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. Did you ever notice that when you speak to an individual, a natural individual, he can carry on a conversation with you if it pertains to the world. You have no uh, difficulty uh, talking to them about ball games. You have no difficulty talking to them about their riches or about their farm ground or about the job they have or the position they hold. They can carry on a very good conversation. But when you turn the conversation godly, they don't have the slightest idea about spiritual things. And that's where we get off track. Is when we try to make them understand spiritual things, they can't do it. I don't care how much you try and how much they talk about the Spirit, they cannot understand the depths of spiritual things in their lives. They cannot understand it as much as you would like for them to. So what do you do? You pray for them that the Holy Spirit would get a hold of them and draw them into an altar someplace and give them that divine nature and then they can grasp what you're talking about. Amen. Paul says that the natural men have minds that are blinded. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into them. You see, the natural man has not been blindfolded by sin. For if he wanted to see, all he'd have to do is remove the blindfold. But he is marked by blindness and inability to see. He can't do it. Finally, the natural man is characterized by death. In Romans 8, 6, Paul says that to be naturally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is love and life and peace. Since the mind of man is marked and designated as reprobate, carnal, empty, puffed up, fleshly, defiled, corrupt, earthly, blinded, and dead, surely we can understand why it is so difficult for us to control our thoughts. All of these things lurk within our old Adamic nature which we were birthed in at birth. Some go more to the depths of sin than others, but they're still uncontrollable things in sight. An empty mind toward God, a puffed up mind, a fleshly mind, desiring only and seeing only our needs, a defiled mind, corrupt mind, earthly mind, blinded mind, a dead mind, dead toward the things of God. So don't be deceived into thinking that the natural mind has been changed since you become a Christian. Read all the Bible you want. And God looked at it and said, I can't change it. I have to leave it like it is. That's man born in sin and shapen in his iniquity. And I can't reach him and bring that out of him. So he says, what I will do. And we'll get some more of that when we go on the new mind. What I will do. 
because I can't change that, it will not allow me to. God will not force the issue. He never does. And because the natural mind, his enmity between God, God will not force the issue. It won't change. It's Adam's nature, fallen nature. It stays that way. God has worked with it, tried to change it. And so now he says what I'll do. I'll judge this old sin nature at the cross. I'll judge it. I can't do anything with it. I'll judge it. I'll judge it. That judgment stands until I come and sin nature is judged. In other words, it should have no more right in us. And what I will do through my only begotten Son, I will show you that you can overcome by the nature of man, which Jesus was of nature of man. And I'll show you how you can overcome. And also inside of this flesh was a spiritual nature that walked continually after the will, the mind, and the heart of God. And he said, I'll show you that if a man is filled to the fullness of my spirit, that you can walk continually after the heart and mind and will of Almighty God. And so he does not put us in the womb. That's what Nicodemus said. How can we enter in to our mother's womb and be born again. This is telling us that God can't do anything with this. It's already been born. It's birth with a dynamic nature. How can we do that? And of course, you know what Jesus says. In other words, He's saying, I- I'm uh, going to work with that on the cross. I'm going to take care of that. And then, once I have showed myself having been raised from the dead, I'm going to ascend into the heavens. But I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to come again. In other words, he's saying, but you must be born again. Hallelujah. This spiritual nature we take on when we are birthed, hallelujah, by the church of a living God that produces children born again. And then he says, you have a divine nature. I'm sharing that with you. What we see from the scriptures is that what describes the mind you have when you received, when you were received, or when you were, when you were birthed by Adam? You possess within yourself the same capacity, the same vanity, same fleshly defilement, the same corruption, the same enmity, enmity and attention to earthly material things had characterized you before you were born into God's family. It's still very much alive. And if we were any saints at all, we would be testing ourselves. And if we did, we'd soon find out it is very much alive. And it is very active. And it don't like to lose. Amen. No, it don't. But it has lost. It has been judged. Hallelujah. It has lost. It will continue to lose. And when Jesus comes, what He judged at the cross, judgment is pronounced. 
and the sentence is carried out and we no longer live in a fleshly body, but we live in a spiritual body, hallelujah, given us by Jesus Christ. This whole fleshly nature is dead. Sentence is carried out. Hallelujah. And we don't live by blood anymore. Hallelujah. What flows through those veins? Well, that living Spirit of God flows through every fiber of our body. And we have no problems knowing the mind of Christ. We have no problems knowing the heart of God. And we have no problems knowing His will. But as long as we're in this place, it's going to seek to dominate. And if that old mind is allowed to exercise itself, it will bring words and actions that God characterizes the mind of the natural man. I thank God in closing that this old mind was brought under judgment at the cross. God did not try to improve it. God did not try to clean it up. God did not try to change its distortions in its perversions. He said, I can't do it. It will not listen. I will not force myself. I'll just judge it at the cross. And He imparts to all of us who believe in Christ the new mind which we will minister on next of Christ in order that He might manifest, it might manifest itself, this new mind, Godward, and that we might have an intimate fellowship with God. You see, you can be saved and saved and saved and saved and filled with the Holy Ghost and filled with the Holy Ghost and still walk after the flesh. But you don't have to. That's the good part about it. You don't have to. We do. We shouldn't. But we do because we haven't learned that he that, it is, that is within us is greater than he that is in the world. What's in the world? The natural thinking of man. Hallelujah. I am glad that I have had the privilege of knowing a little bit about what it's like to follow and seek the mind of Christ. You see, when Paul said, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, what he is actually saying is let the mind of this new nature. Let it rule you. Like this nature that dwelled in Jesus Christ, God Himself, like that mind, rule Jesus. You see what has happened to us, and I'm going to close, continuing to close. What has happened to us and we've been sold a bill of goods that says we just have to sin. And the Bible won't bear this out. Paul says, I would that you sin not. That was, that's what Christ wants. But he says, if you sin, don't throw it all away. You have an advocate. In other words, get down on your knees and ask forgiveness of God and get up, square your shoulders and walk like God wants you to walk Amen. and defeat the powers of hell and realize the next time it happens, you're not going to fall for it. Amen. 
And as sure as you don't, there'll be something else come along that will try you. And unless we get in the Bible and understand that we have to grow in Him, have to understand Him, have to walk after Him, and think like Him, and believe Him, we're going to fall for this junk that is spread across pulpits all over the land and on the airwaves every place. We're going to fall for that. And when Jesus comes, He's just going to look for that individual that has said, I want the mind of Christ. I want the heart of Christ to love like He does. And I want the will of God. I want the will like Jesus said. You see, you think he didn't have a fight? He had a nature. Yeah, he, he had a nature through his mother. A fallen nature in a sense. He had it. Otherwise, Nat, how could he say, not my will? And wrestling with all of that. Struggling with that. And finally, he said, if, if you can, God, what I want is for you to just let me get away from this. The dregs in this cup is awful. I don't think I can drink them. Three times, this individual had to pray. God dwelled in human flesh had to pray three times. A man that had lived his life for 33 years and a half without sin had to pray three times until great drops of blood-like sweat fell off of him before he could submit to the will of God. My God says, what makes us think we can do any less? What makes us think it's not going to take that very same type of agonizing with our spirit and soul until we can lay down this whole will of human place and say, God, it's not what I want. That don't mean anything. It's what you want. Amen. Hallelujah. It's Amen. what God wants. Yes. Give Him a hand. It's what God wants. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.